Sí, así en... Oh, was that it? When I see, I see you on some, on some fair shit. See you out there like <laughs> this Does it say that I'm recording on your screen? Yeah, yeah. Recording against my will. I oh. should sue you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Never that. Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Books We Should Have Read podcast. My name is Ashley Ray, and I'm a writer and producer on a mission to get adults who typically aren't into reading, into reading through the exploration of Black literary classics. This pod is an extension to the BWSR Book Club, which is currently reading classics surrounding relationships and magic. And you can find our complete book list for this collection at booksweshouldhavread.com. Tune in to each episode as I discuss a classic from the reading list with a member of my tribe, from what we love to what we hate about it, but ultimately as we rave about why each one of these books is a book we all must read. Today we'll be talking about our fifth and final read in this collection, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, with my friend, mentor in film, and award-winning filmmaker, Zachary Cunningham. Uh... <laughs> introduce me how you introduce me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, just introduce me as Zachary Cunningham, I guess. That's my name. Well, you mean like title and all that yeah. stuff? Yeah. I'm just a, I would say I'm a filmmaker or whatever. I mean, I don't really, I'm a father. <laughs> I don't know, Ash. I'm not really. <laughs> like, people always ask me that, like, what's, What's your like? How should I like, bro? I, how do you see me? Because <laughs> I'm for me, I'm just me. Husband, father, bomb ass filmmaker, jazz enthusiast. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. You always do that, yo. Allegedly. Allegedly. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you could do it like that, like. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm not just, I don't think I'm just one thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I will say this though. You definitely come through. You know, you always come through. I had you down for two books, decided to cut one of the books because it didn't fit. So this, um, but I, I'm so grateful that you stuck with me. I changed your book a few times. <laughs> So well, luckily, I mean, it, this is one of my favorite. It's like it's like one of the books that like hit me in the chest. You know what I'm saying when I read it. You know what I'm saying. When did you first read it? Four years ago. Four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. So this was your second time. Did you reread it or did you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read. I it don't hit the same. So I'm not. I can't. I won't. Even, I won't even. I won't even disrespect it by saying that I reread it. You know what I'm saying. But I brushed up, you know what I'm saying? That's what yeah. I did. Yeah. Because like that type of book. Cause I I still haven't finished Parable of the Talents, right? Like so I'm gonna I, I'm gonna start that. That's my next book that I'm reading. Yeah, it's right, like so look, the first few pages is gonna fuck you up. Cause that shit is real t- okay, 2021. Wait. Back I mean, real out. 2020. Back up. Are we following the same people? It's Lauren's, it's Lauren's, it's told from Lauren's daughter's perspective. Okay. So we get to see Lauren from a whole different perspective, like her daughter who really didn't fuck with her like that. Similar to like how Lauren talks about her father. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay, 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 okay. All right, let's stick to Parable of the Sower though. (laughs) Like when I read this book, like it hit me like on a philosophical level. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like I, it wasn't even about like it was almost like I was reading like a uh, a newer version of the Bible or some shit. It was like it's very it was, much so like that. It was weird. Like so that's kind of like so like the implications of just everything and just I think in 2020. Considering how crazy this year was, this is like the perfect book to talk about because the book is 2020. Parable of the Sower was published in 1993 and is the first book in a two-part series that was unfortunately never finished because of Butler's untimely death in 2006. 
Following Sower is Parable of the Talents, published in 1998, which closes out this series. Parable of the Sower is about a young girl turned woman's quest to a new world after the old one she loved was destroyed. And get this, it takes place in 2020, just outside of Los Angeles. We're introduced to a 15-year-old girl named Lauren Alamina and her community in the beginning of the novel. And we meet a ton of interesting characters throughout her journey and encounter a ton of disturbing deaths. At the book's opening, Lauren's 2020 is described as being ravished by poverty, drugs, terrorism, and crooked politics. She and her immediate family live inside of a gated or shielded makeshift community that's surrounded by the aforementioned extreme chaos. A consistent thread within the novel is her journaled scriptures um, for life and living, of which she calls Earth Seed. Think of today's Bible or Quran for context, as this book is a book of enlightenment that Lauren pens throughout her journey to refuge and her new reality. I had trouble connecting to Lauren as a character in the beginning of the book, which explains why it took me like three tries to finish it. Zach, on the other hand, related to her from the start. This is your spoiler warning, guys. There are going to be a ton of spoilers throughout. So if you're sensitive to them, I suggest you stop listening now, read the book, and then come back to the episode. This was the first time that I finished the book. I have tried to read this book free. This will be my third or fourth time that I've tried to read this book within the past two years. Mm -hmm. And I've never been able to finish it until this time because Mm. I was meeting with you. And I was just like, if I would put this as a book for the book club, I have to finish it. Right. And so I pushed through it and it fucked me up. Yeah. It fucks you up at every turn too, because some, cause, cause like, I mean, like, I mean, real talk, I don't want to give everything away, but like, like 80%, 85%, what did you say? Uh, 85% of the characters don't even make it to the end of the book. And that's what's so fucked up to me. It's just like each time I'm just like, okay, I'm down in the dumps. Octavia Butler's going to pull me back out. It's going to be a win. And then yeah. it's like, no. Nope. <laughs> no. Nah. I mean, it's a win at the end. Um, Is but, it though? Because it left on a very somber. I mean, I, mean, but for, I would say. For their, for 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 what their world is, that's the that's as good a note as you gonna get. Like in my opinion, finding a place that you can create into a refuge. Hopefully, maybe God willing. The reason why it took me so long to finish this book is because I did not fuck with Lauren at all. So when we start the book in twenty twenty four. Lauren, mm-hmm. our main character, is a 15-year-old know-it-all. Mm-hmm. And when we end the book, she's an 18-year-old know-it-all. And so, like, when I, the first couple of times I tried to read this book, I just could not get over her. Like, what? Like, but the thing is, as I read it, as I read more of the book, I realized that this was really not what she'd be talking about, though. Even though she's so young, I'm just like, I think that's my ego speaking because at 15, I didn't, I wasn't that self-aware um, and I couldn't relate to her. And I always look for something within the character that is relatable um, mm-hmm. for me to hold on to throughout. And I just couldn't relate to her because I was not like that at 15. I'm mm-hmm. barely like that at 31. Yeah. Yeah, she's very much a... Um... An observer, that's what I would call her. I think that's probably why I related to her mm. as a character is that she's like, I mean, first off, she's a preacher's kid. I'm a preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, like I think we kind of can be wired a little bit differently. You know what I'm saying? Because we like so like when you're when you're I, w- I wouldn't even say when you're a preacher's kid, but I would say when you're the child of someone prominent you kind of see the world from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. So it's like, 
So like you see, like you like I put it like this. As a kid growing up, I knew how everybody around my dad felt about him. Mm. Not many kids know that. They don't really view their parents in the context of how the community views them. They only see their parents from one standpoint. And so that kind of like changes some shit. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's where her, I think that she, she has, she's privy to information that the average 15 year old wouldn't be privy to. And that's what makes her a know-it-all to a degree. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think even the way, even the way she probably, even the way she even internalizes the re- the religious aspect of her parents and stuff like that, um, probably contributes to, like, probably her being a preacher's kid contributes to her even writing Earthseed mm-hmm. within itself. Because again, I think as a preacher's kid, you go one way. You, I mean, you go two ways. You either go the hyper-religious route, or you go the intellectual route. You go the intellectual route, it becomes, you start to, you you kind of break things down in a very kind of like scientific way. And I think Lauren is very much that person who breaks things down in a, in a scientific way. I know I just said a lot. No, you did, you did, you did. Let me take it back, let me take it back. Um, she writes Earthseed, mm-hmm. right, which is still a book to live by. Yes. Which still has a God. Well, God, well, does it have a God or is it saying that, well, change is God. But according to, to her. Philosophy. But God is still very much so present. Like, God may not be this, for her, God isn't this angry man in the sky, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, I think it, I think that comes back down to how we as individuals in Western culture identify what God is. Mm -hmm. And so I think Lauren's character is challenging the idea of god itself mm-hmm. because in the bible is written is god is always addressed as he it's personified whereas lauren is i think her premise is more so it's not a he is something that is far greater than it's like god is the essence of all of this shit which that's just I, don't, I mean what can you say about that yeah you know one of the things that she constantly says is change is god and god is change is that am i getting that right change yeah. is god and god is change so god <laughs> so confusing it's so confusing God, I lost. So you, so you know what's interesting, and I was thinking about this earlier in preparation for this podcast. I was thinking, like, well, if you really think about it, I think to a degree, Lauren is challenging just like how we view religion in general. Because if you think about it, Christianity doesn't. I'm. Of course, um, I mean, I, I would consider myself Christian, priest, kid, whatever, whatever. Christianity, Christianity, I would say the Bible hasn't changed, Mm-mm. but the way in which, well, the Bible has changed. That's a whole other discussion. For well, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Are you speaking <laughs> yeah. to like, the way we interpret yeah. it? Exactly. So the way Christianity has never been the same i think it always evolves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and christianity is built around how we identify god and jesus and all those things but the way in which it affects us and i think the way in which it affects us 
is that I would say this. I think for Lauren, she's seen so much and stuff is always in, a, in, a, in an environment that she grows up in where everything is so tense and so crazy. It's just, it's wild. It's feral. It's like everybody's sovereign at this point. It's like the Black Walking Dead. That's what I yeah when I first read it. Yes. Like it was like the Black Walking Dead. Um, I think for her, it's kind of like the way in which preachers preach they sometimes they preach and it's not congruent with reality and so i think for her she's like oh i'm hearing everything that my father's saying but my world doesn't reflect what is coming out of his mouth and how he's interpreting these scriptures so it has to be something different mm. and the conclusion that she comes to is that god has to be changed because nothing stays the same. And that's the one thing that we, that's the thing when you turn the pages of parables, or I don't know if you read that physical book, but what physical you book? The pages, you never know. Oh, what, like You're saying the actual physical book or the ebook because we're in 2020. Yes. Yes, yes exactly. Because people do ebooks all yes. the time. That's true. Yeah. So I think the, I think just, I think that, that, that the book is always changing the circumstances are always changing like people are leaving people people are coming people are going like so i mean we can go on tangent but yeah I, let's keep going because no I, I, um but you brought up an interesting point about lauren's father and lauren creating earth seed because it reflects her reality and her feeling as though like her father preaching the gospel does not reflect where they are today but her father was still very much so in tuned with what's going on today. Mm -hmm. So are mm -hmm. we saying that he was preaching something that he didn't even believe in? I think that's the question that every preacher's kid asks. I think as a preacher's kid, you, you always kind of, I would say it depends if you, if you go the intellectual route or the religious route, if you go the religious route, you're not going to question anything. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't raised to be like hyper religious, even by my parents, even by my father, who was, who is a pastor. You know what I'm saying? So I think that you ask questions because again, you're seeing, you're not seeing the religion from the same standpoint as somebody who's just going to church every day. Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying you're seeing it from the inside out because you lauren has the lauren has the luxury and the plight of seeing her dad come and go mm -hmm. whereas the people just see him as pastor you know whoever you know what i'm saying so again i think it's just a very confusing set of circumstances especially considering the setting of this point of this thing where it's 2024 people are pretty much living in like these kind of like small gated kind of i wouldn't even say gated i would say shielded communities mm -hmm. from the outside where drugs and everything there her dad has to go to the school but he goes out he has his gun and he has to you know what i'm saying it's it's crazy just for him to leave so i think I think for her, I think she's trying to make sense of it. But because she was raised to be a strong woman, she's not going to say, I don't know. She's going to come to conclusions because I don't think that in that world, you can afford to just say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think you got to kind of be strong. You know what I'm saying? And you see her, you see her change over time, especially like when her dad kind of goes missing and he kind of like never comes back or but i know we're gonna get to that i'm sorry if i'm no no we're we're gonna keep jumping it's fine yeah, yeah. Just um but you kind of see her you kind of see her like okay this is what i have to do in order to i guess like survive or whatever yeah like she's a very mature 15 year old she is and you see what happens to everyone else in that neighborhood who's not like her yes 
Lauren is super mature because she has to be. At the very beginning of the book, when Lauren is just 15 or 16 years old, she's already focused on preparing for what's to come next, while everyone else in her makeshift neighborhood is trying to get back to normal, which is so eerily similar to how many of us IRL are looking at our current pandemic situation. Lauren's maturity and foresight, however, is also in overdrive, in my opinion, because of her hyper-empathy, of which Zach and I will explain and uncover right now. We gotta talk about um, Lauren's hyper-empathy, though, which I also think contributes to her view on the world. Because she feels what other people feels, literally. Literally. So, like, the way that she moves about is just very hyper aware so let, let's explain this to the audience so like that they so I'm, hyper empathy so basically lauren the main character just say if she if she sees somebody else get shot in the kneecap that she feels she's going to feel the impact the shot <laughs> yeah she's gonna feel it like herself and it's called hyper empathy which is a crazy concept. It is so crazy. And it was honestly my, one of my least favorite parts of the book. You trash. <laughs> I was just like, oh, here she goes sharing again. Get up, Lauren. <laughs> but no, I think it is very important. It was crucial that her character have something like that, though, right? Especially with her being a new leader of a new community. Like, mm-hmm. the way that... Like, she's not, um, nothing gets past her because for her livelihood, for her sake, like, mm-hmm. nothing, she can't afford to let anything like that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want to say about it, though? So I look at it, I look at it interestingly. I, I think that, I think that Octavia Butler is a genius because I feel like hyper empathy to a degree. I feel like Lauren is a representation of the black woman because the reality is like, so if you go, if you go to like the conscious community, right. Mm. You know, you got a lot of dudes saying right now, the black woman is God, the black woman is God. Like that's like a thing nowadays. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, whatever. Um, But I do think that. um, I do think that black women historically at least we can say let's just eliminate to american history i do think that i would argue that black women are the most empathetic group subgroup whatever you want to call it in america yeah and have historically been the most empathetic so i think that lauren i think that lauren even having hyper empathy is a kind of like call to that to the essence of the black woman even of lauren at a young age Mm -hmm. but if you think about like the me too movement right now we know that a black woman started the me too movement Mm -hmm. um we can know we know that black women also started black lives matter you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i feel like a lot of groups like because black women are so hyper empathetic, especially to social issues and things like that, a lot of groups, and I would say namely, white women historically have taken advantage of that. And I would say like, I would say it's especially been apparent in like the last two, three years. Mm-hmm. And so I think that hyper empathy, although when you think about it, you're like, man, that's incredible that she has that. But I also think it can be like a, a fatal flaw to a degree because we've all, we almost see in the book on numerous times where she sees something, she, she probably doesn't survive. You know, she almost doesn't survive because of her gift slash flaw. You know, so I look at hyper empathy as like a statement on the spirit of the black woman. Mm. That's how I look at it. Because I don't think it's I don't think you can give hyper empathy to a black man and it'd be believable. I don't think you can give hyper hyper empathy to you definitely can't give it to a white woman and believe it. Because the reality is the black woman, even if you go back to slavery, the black woman 
was taking care of her kids and she was taking care of the white lady kids. Mm -hmm. And she was taking care of home. And she was taking care of home. And while while Mm -hmm. physically Mm -hmm. picking, like doing whatever work it was. It's not like picking picking cotton was the only job. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the only way you could survive is to have a sense of hyper empathy. In my opinion. That's how I took it. I took it as a spirit of, of, of black women. And I'm not saying every black woman got it and every some don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Like just that's the artist in me, maybe. That's the filmmaker in me. That's Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, because I totally um took it for exactly how it was written in the book as a weakness. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was just like, damn, she can't just be a strong ass woman out here kicking ass. She has to have this thing. You have to. You but have to. he did. Like, and then as I as I continue reading, I mean, it still wasn't my favorite thing, um, but it was something that I kind of got over. Um, but then again, here's me. That's that's the ego talking, though, right? I was about to say, is it a weakness, though? Is it is it a weakness? It's all. I feel like it's only. I feel like it's a weakness in her world. It yeah exactly in her that's world exactly how I took it though. But wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't you say that hyper empathy hyper empathy can be a weakness in a post Me Too world where white women are kind of trying to like. Where where they where they where where more of them are still voting for Donald Trump, but then at the same time, like uh, the red table, like I was so happy with the red table talk with um the mom and the little one, the white girl from uh who parents got in trouble for uh for um. Well, I didn't watch that one. I rolled my eyes. I couldn't. You gotta it. watch it because the because the because Jada's mom was like, no, we shouldn't like. Every like I'm tired of every time when like you had this young white girl who comes to the black platform to kind of rebuild Talk about herself. How, how sorry she is and how yeah, like but she but she but but the thing is, she relies on a black platform to do that. You know why? Because she knows that black women have hyper empathy, and that is and Jada is the epitome of that of hyper empathy. Like completely, right? I mean, we saw that with August Alcina. <sighs> okay. Absolutely. And it's so frustrating. <laughs> oh, frustrating. So that's what I'm saying. And I'm not saying it's a flaw because I think it's great. I think I think that's what makes black women the strongest mothers. You know what I'm saying? Like I think it's what I think it's what makes like when they say behind every great I think I think when the time I would say the the phrase beside every great black man is a great black woman. I think that's why. Yeah. It's because you guys relate to our plight. Mm-hmm. And no other woman can do that. Mm-mm, at all. No other woman. And I'm not saying, I'm, and again, I'm not saying like if you don't, you know what I'm saying? Like I, your choice is your choice. But the reality is, is no other being on this planet even if we want to get granular, it's no other, even if we want to get granular and say there, in terms of black American women, there is no other, there is no other being on this planet who can relate to black American men like the black American woman. Yeah, it's Because our, we both face the same yeah. trauma. It's our first language, right? Like, it's our first language. Yeah, totally. So, that is so true. Let's talk about that environment for a little bit because it's so, because um, 2020, the year of coronavirus and COVID-19, um, I couldn't have imagined a reality like this until this year. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was God that was just like, nah, homie, you got to wait to finish this book until exactly. you can relate, to it, relate to it. I'm glad I didn't read it in 20. I would have been shook. <laughs> I would have been like, bro, we, we about to, we, we all out of here. It did something to me, like on on another level. Like before, I was reading this, I was just like, okay, this this dystopian type of environment. It's just like this time, it was just like, nah, girl, this is real. This reality, mm-hmm. this shit could really happen, and it does. When um, okay, 
So how can how can we paint the picture of like the environment that they live in um so it's like it's very similar start with the catalyst of how they got to the place that they're at right now um so so look i'll say this it's i'm not good with summaries Let's just say, I always say, when I read it, I said, I remember, I think I told, I was like, bro, this shit is like the Black Walking Dead. It's like the Black Walking Dead. Like, that's how I felt about it. Um, But, so it's like, you have these communities, like, that are gated. They're like, I won't even say gated. They're like, you said shielded earlier. Shielded. They're like boarded up. Like you have the communities, like small communities, like uh, um, that exist within the city. But when you go out of that gate, it's people on these crazy drugs. They're almost like they're like walkers, man. <laughs> like it's crazy. They are extreme poverty, like yeah, extreme poverty, being, killing, raping, all of that is like just comes with the territory when you step outside yes. of your community. Yes. Um so yeah, I mean I mean of course we can go the climate change route because climate change is one of the uh I mean pretty much pretty much this book is wait what year did this book come out? This came book came 1993. Out. This book came out before Illmatic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to draw the connection because I'm just like No, I'm just I'm just saying for context, it came out before okay. Illmatic, which is crazy. Okay. Um, um Pretty much every the, the reason why the world is the way it is in this world is the same things that's fucking up our world today. Uh-huh. Greed, extreme capitalism. Uh, yes. Like you said, climate change. Poor poor politics, uh 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 uh, uh um uh financial deficits indentitude. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, widespread, widespread, uncontrollable drug use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's everything that, that people are, like, afraid of today, mm-hmm. which is what makes this book so prophetic. Absolutely. Like, 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 if you don't get your shit together, this is where you're going to be. I was just about to say that. That's exactly what the book is. If you don't get your shit together... Y'all are out of here. And that's, like you said, being hyper-empathetic. Not just empathetic, but hyper-empathetic, right? Like, and that is to other people and to this planet that we're on. Treat it with respect. Yeah, Yeah, and it also speaks to the mismanagement of the government. Because I think Octavia Butler saw the the way politics and things are handled, the way the, the politicians handle money, how they don't take certain things serious, like climate change, drugs, all that stuff. And how that can lead to the fall, to the fall of society. Mm-hmm. And these people are attempting to, I guess, I guess like keep semblances of some type of like normalcy after it. Like they're trying to make the, the most of it. Next up, Z and I touch on some of the major themes in the book, like the scam that is indentured servitude. And there are some companies in our actual reality, y'all, that are heading in the same direction. It's just so much. You just pick one and we can stay on it. We can say, you know, I was thinking too with the indentured servitude talk, how um, Olivar reminds me of like, what is it? United something wholesale or like a Google where they like have their employees working all day and all night and they give them all this shit like gym memberships. And then eventually Google's building dorms on their campuses for employees. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> like they're providing. So these big ass companies are providing these uh, safe havens for um, people in need. And when you think about it, when you need a job, right, but you also have to worry about rent, daycare, uh, school, feeding your family, um, any extracurriculars that wouldn't be offered otherwise in taking this souped up deal of you working day and night, selling your soul to this company, working day and night to live on their property um, so that they essentially take care of you and pay you shit. Yeah, it's very similar to it's very similar to the early plant system in the automotive industry, mm. like Ford. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like where they would they were workers would come up, and a lot of them black and Latino workers would come up to Michigan or whatever. And I'm not talking about like in the 70s and 80s when niggas was making a lot of money. No. I'm talking about before that, like sharecroppers coming up here to get, they would literally have like these kind of like, uh, forget, like you said, like dormitories and they would just, they would stay there then they would work, stay there, work. It's like crazy. And of course they weren't getting paid. Not, I mean, Henry Ford was a, I mean, again, I'm not, he was a cold. That's what I'll say. He is, he is a cold dude. Cold. Yeah. In cold. order to have the billions upon billions that he did, you have to be. Yeah, he was cold. Yeah. So so that's that's what it reminds that's what it reminds me of. That's what that reminded me of. Yeah, and like and don't think that you're getting paid a wage, right? Whatever you earn from working for these companies go straight into their pockets because you owe them. And then you come up short. You're indebted to them. Like yeah. and then you have to work off your debt. There's one um the place where um the the mother and daughter came from mm-hmm. um how they her husband died on the job mm-hmm. and so then she was a single mother of three kids and her youngest two kids two boys were sold to pay off the debt of the family like slavery 2.0 <laughs> pretty much but is that not now speaking not speaking to the book to our current reality is that not where we're headed when you think of all the and i'm not trying to knock anyone's jobs because do what you got to do for your family right but like when i think about these companies and how it sounds like a great ass deal because they're they're giving you all of these benefits that you wouldn't have been able to afford if you did not work with them and to me, it's just like, that's how they pull you in to essentially be their servants. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say slavery because I feel like that's too, um, what, what would be the word? It's not much that can compare to slavery. And I would say in the way in which we, we think about slavery in America, it's not much that can compare to it. Yeah. Because it was just... The brutal, the breeding, right? Breeding yeah. farms, like slave trade, is illegal, right? The the um, I'm sorry, the transatlantic, like the middle passage, like getting people from Africa became illegal at a certain point. So niggas had breeding farms where they yeah. literally bred people, people, like people, like cattle. Yeah. Aside from like the slavery that we learn about, like. That's the type of shit that makes me sick to my fucking stomach. Yeah. Well, also, I also think that she had a she had a very keen understanding of how America itself worked. Yeah. Because I think, and this this is this is where I say this is where my black skepticism comes in, and this is why, even though we look at it. So look, so I look, I'll put it like this. I'm just gonna let me just go on a tangent real quick. Yeah, please. So in the sixties, in the sixties, you had um a lot of progress for like black rights and stuff like that. Right? You had this stuff, you had civil rights movement, you know, doing that thing like on a mainstream level. Then you had like the Black Panthers. In the late 60s, doing their thing, like, on a grounds level, 
You know what I'm saying? Then you have the Nation of Islam doing their thing on like a um on like an independent level, I would say. Mm-hmm. So we get the civil rights bill done, right? Like and all that stuff, which people get to vote, whatever, whatever. Even though Martin Luther King was like, man, I, did I take my people into a burning house? He said that himself. Um, and his last book is actually titled, Where Do We Go From Here? Because they got what they wanted, but then he realized like, oh, this ain't really what it's all cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. Then he started um, thinking about capital. Which is why Martin Luther King was, was very different at the time when he passed, mm-hmm. as opposed to the I have a dream Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so you have all of this stuff that happens. What happens directly after the 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 civil rights movement? You have like a lot of white women's rights, stuff like that. You have a lot of multicultural, like with um like a lot of multicultural stuff you have a lot of like people of color or minority rights you know what i'm saying where a lot of this stuff is we're fighting like oppression against black people because it, again we know that it's systemic based on how whites have dealt with us from slavery so what happens is is that we have all of these uh things that progress but then other groups come from the outside and begin to benefit from the work that we have done Mm -hmm. so what happens post trayvon martin so trayvon martin happens you know because trayvon martin is really the thing that set all this shit off yeah for real for real in the modern era you know what i'm saying i say this as a kind of like black radical because i remember when y'all ain't care about this shit oh oh i say (laughs) y'all Yeah, like I when say, y'all talking to black folk. Thing, black I'm women. talking about black folk. Okay. I'm talking, oh, you talking, talking about black people? Mm-hmm. I remember. I remember when even black folk didn't care. Not every mm-hmm. black person cares about. Well, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> um, um. So what happens post Drayvon Martin? You have in Black Lives Matter. Now you have all of these different subgroups pretty much benefiting from of the from the from the social justice momentum and mm. the and the and the environment the social environment that black people whether ra- that, you first off and I'll cuz I ain't going to make it all about outsiders I would say that black mainstream black mainstream uh uh, pundits have benefited from the rhetoric of black radical pundits. Mm. So the things that people like Angela Rye, Charlemagne, even Kamala Harris, even all these people, the things that they're talking about now, there are people like Amos Wilson talking about this stuff 15 years ago. Mm. There are people like CLR James talking about this stuff 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there are people... Like, so we know that the, we, there are people like Angela Davis, Toni Morrison, Nikki Giovanni, Asada Shakur, talk, Asada Shakur mm-hmm. talking about these things 20 years ago. And they were maligned for it. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Within the black community. Yes. Now, now that is popular, again, it takes a while for the for the mainstream to get it. You know what I'm saying? So it happens the same thing with white folk. You know what I'm saying? They benefit from it. The reality is there's no Me Too movement without Black Lives Matter. Yeah. The environment just isn't created. It's not it's not there for it. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't exist. Yeah. You know? So so it's like history repeats itself. And so I think that's what Octavia Butler was so great at was that she understood that history repeats itself because it's not about who's good, who's bad. It's about how this country was built. This country is built around black people build some shit, white people benefit, whether it's social, whether it's physical, whether it's artistic, whether it's whatever. We can, there is not one thing in this country that 
has been prominent within the zeitgeist that black people have not built and white people benefited from it. We can go, we can go to rock and roll. It's a good example. Yeah. Little Richard, you know what I'm saying? Before rock and roll though. Mm. Yeah. We can go jazz. We can go blues. We can go blues. You know what I'm saying? Like we can go all we can go all of these different we can go all of these different spaces. What of course, hip hop is though there would be no la la land. <laughs> exactly. So my point my point is my point is that like that's the way that this country works and the way that this country will always work. Mm. Black people build some shit. White people benefit. I'm gonna say it one more time. Black people build some shit. White people benefit. I want that on a shirt. History repeating itself is an absolute understatement. Up next, Z and I put ourselves in Lauren's post-apocalyptic shoes, although we don't have to imagine too hard, and talk about our preparedness if a similar situation were to happen to us today. So let's let's put ourselves in their position, right? We're in this world, extreme destitute. We're in these private communities um, where refugees find homes and they make them or find houses and they turn them into their homes, which are as temporary as they're going to be because of the um, the war that's happening outside the communities. Would you? How prepared are you for something like this to happen in your real life? How prepared am I? Yeah. Uh, what in what way? Like resource wise or mental wise? Because I think I think that's two different conversations. Well, let's start with mental. Mental? I think I'm always thinking some shit is going to pop off. Mm-hmm. Always got the head on the swivel. Yeah, like, because I don't trust shit. Like, I don't trust... I'm going to stop. I'm going to use not use much profanity because they're going to think I'm just ignorant. You're, but, but clearly, they will not. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so my main thing is, like, if some stuff like this happened, it would be... <laughs> I feel I feel like I feel like I feel like to a degree like I I expect it to happen at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I I expect it to happen. So, but I don't think I don't think you can prepare for anything like this mentally. Like I think I think the way that our country is structured and the way that the luxury of life that we've been blessed to live here in America, I don't think I think that only. I think even like the militia people who got like all these rations saved up and all that stuff, like, hey, like, you're talking about living like animals. But still then, but still then trying to maintain some semblance of today, now, normalcy and morality when you don't have to. Mm-hmm. That's to me, that's the crazy part about it. And I think that's what that to me, that's what Octavia Butler did so expertly in his book is that like, I think that's why the communities are so small, because it kind of represents that out of all these mother, out of all these people, it's only going to be a small group of people that who are really going to keep their morals. Yeah. Because you don't have to anymore. And I think a lot of people just really just keep their morals just because is is due because of society. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see people, we see people do stuff on Instagram for likes. You don't think they would do it craziness if they couldn't go to jail or couldn't get in trouble? Like you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what makes the purge an interesting idea. Yeah, because Doesn't it, it kind of show it kind of peels back. The layer on, yeah, most people really want to get some shit off. That's why you got like when 
rebellions happen. You have those people out there who just want to go out there and do some fucked up shit. Protests happen. You have agitators. And then people just want to go out there and do some fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. what, what they call a, a agent provocateurs or whatever they yeah. call it. Yeah. I think before 2020, I would say that, no, totally. I was totally connected, attached to our current rea- reality. And like, mm-hmm. um, even at the beginning of um, when the pandemic first hit the United States, I was like trying to retain as much normalcy as possible. And it wasn't until the summer that I just kind of like, was just like, no, I'm just going to embrace the change and what's happening and just be adaptable and, and not yeah. mourn anymore what used to be. Um, so right now, I would say that to your point of like, you're never really prepared. I'm, I'm comfortable with knowing that you're never really prepared anymore. Right. Because this shit was like the most heartbreaking thing for me because I was so attached to what we used to have. Um, and, but now I'm just like, anything is possible. A fucking, what'd you say? I'm a loner and a homebody. So for me, it was just like, <laughs> we get to stay at home. <laughs> I can write. I can, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I can like, it, it kind of get. it's like, man, I can, I can take a moment to like, look at the world. Cause I, cause I always try to look at the world, try to like, think about what's going on, try to contextualize, like, what is this reality that we're living in? But then at the same time, stuff is always moving so fast to where you can't really, you don't have the time and space to do it. Mm-hmm. So this whole thing kind of just gave me the time and space to like, okay, like, who am I? Mm. What do I want to be? Who do I, who do I love? Do they love me? What, what is love? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? All of those things. So like, I think not only like, I think, I think I've like, I've like learned a lot this this year has felt like like the way people describe like a DMT trip. That's what this year feels like for me. Mm, I thought you were like, gonna say like this year felt like five because it really did. I feel like I aged like um, I became way more wise. Yeah, I gained a lot more wisdom than I usually do mm-hmm. in a year's time. This time, like mm-hmm. honestly, like this is the most introspective I've ever been in my life and um yeah I just feel totally just like not content but content so yeah no I think I I I think to to answer your question I think I think mentally I'm kind of always on edge when it comes to those things but I don't think like anything could prepare for that and then having a son a son as small as Harper. Mm. Like that's a whole, I can't even imagine. Tracking on foot to the north yeah. with your baby. In the winter. Look at, we're in wintertime. And we, we're on the East Coast. <laughs> she was yeah. in California. She was in California. So yeah, like that's, that's the thing. Like it's kind of just like, nah, like, yeah. So no, I don't, I don't necessarily think I'm, I'm, I will be, I'm prepared for that. Um, but it's something that I try to mentally prepare myself for. And, you know, in terms of resources, physically, stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? To not have to depend on the system yeah. to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And that is just something that I am, I'm not going to say that I'm ashamed of, but I'm a little disappointed in myself that I have so much faith in the system that I know was not set up for people like me to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. But I still have so much faith that like they would be able to protect us against something like this, right? And that well, is yeah. I mean, I think what, I, I think I think if we had and look, I'm not big into the political discussions, right? Like I'm just not big into it. But I think if we had any other president. It would have been handled differently. Oh my God. 
Yeah, I, I think it would have been. For I think sure. do I do I think that that's would have happened and stuff like that. Yeah, but I think that it would have been handled far differently, and I think we would have been in a much better situation. But I think I think Trump he just kind of leads with his ego. So well, he clearly leads with his ego. So. Yeah, he's. I mean, no shade to Gemini's, but he's a Gemini man. Um, <laughs> I mean, very narcissistic by nature. No shade, but I mean. You you do his birth chart. I mean, if you don't believe me, um, but like he has those qualities, right? And then he's a and then he's a white man, so he's a white Gemini male with a lot well, of. Money. He's he, he's built from the same stuff that the forefathers are built from. Totally, he's built from that same stuff. So he's not doing anything that's that's different, or that's why you need to read the first twenty pages of Parable of the Talents. I'm. And your mind is going to be blown. Because it's a phrase in there, something that says in there that speaks directly to Donald Trump. And that book came out in 1998. Listen, I need at least a month to gather my... No, I feel you. I'm just just telling you. (laughs) Because... All I said was read the first 20 pages. That's it. It don't even get into nothing. But I hear that parable of the talents is probably even more brutal than Sower. So... I mean, it... I yeah, I would think so. It would have to be because I can't imagine that utopia that they think that they found is going to uh, come with no issues. Okay, Zach, we're gonna wrap it up. Um, I want you to tell me why people should read this book. Why this is a book that people have to read. Um. I think that you should read Parable of the Sower because it speaks to our existence and our plight. And when I say it, like I'm talking about like as black Americans and not only black Americans from slavery, but black immigrants as well. Um, um, in a very, I think that I think that especially given what we're going through right now in American history, I think I find solace in the fact that Octavia Butler understood us. And that feels good. You very rarely, and I'm talking about you very rarely, like you might be able to relate to some stuff on some level, but like with Parable of the Sower in 2020, I wish I read it for the first time in 2020 because this is the book that we need because it's not, it not only serves as a, as, as context for what we're going through in the here and now, but it also serves as a warning for where we can end up if we're not careful. Mm. And as black women, I think that, like I think Octavia Butler was such a genius in that like she always had like these very strong black woman characters. And I think that black women oftentimes get maligned, especially as young women. This is a young adult novel, you know what I'm saying? Get maligned as young women for being smart asses and know it alls and all of this shit. But understand that, like, your mind and your hyper-empathy, although it hurts, it's your superpower as well. Wow. What a way to end our very first season. Thank you, Z, for doing this with me. You're always so clutch, and I appreciate you. You can follow Z at z.c.cunningham. That's the letter Z dot the letter C dot Cunningham, which is spelled C-U-N-N-I-N-G-H-A-M on Instagram and his production house, Misfitted Academics, to see all of his work. 
Follow Books We Should Have Read on Instagram at Books We Should Have Read and Twitter at Books WSR to stay up to date with BWSR happenings. And if you're interested in being a part of the official book club discussion, be sure to join our private Facebook page, which is linked on our website and social media accounts. Sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive BWSR info, get hip to new and up and coming Black authors, and to enter our monthly raffle for a $50 gift certificate to a Black-owned bookstore. This pod was produced and edited by me, Ashley Reynolds, and the dope-ass track you hear in the background was produced by Ty.2Wo. That's Ty, T-Y, dot, the number two, and the letters W-O on Instagram. A special thank you to every guest we've had during this season. Efren A. Hamilton, Morgan Williams-Boydston, Kelly B., Cassidy Yeye, and of course, my friend and mentor in film, Zachary Cunningham, for joining me. You guys agreed to show up for books we should have read during its conceptualization. Believing in the vision and trusting me with your thoughts, words, and feelings, and I'm forever indebted. Also, also, can't possibly bring the season to a close without publicly thanking my creative team, creative director Latoya Colts, my graphic designer and photographer Ryan Noses, and Gabriel Roseman for helping to bring this vision to life. I sincerely couldn't have done half of this shit without y'all. If you liked what you heard and want to support this Black woman-owned and operated movement financially, there's an anchor link in the show notes where you can do just that. Any and everything is welcomed and appreciated. Season two is well underway and we will have a release date for that soon. In the meantime, tune into the podcast for Minisodes every other Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. Until next season, bye y'all.